1: That is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity Dignity of man.
0: Yes, the dignity of humanity involves self-governing, doesn't it? We, the people, are supposed to be calling the shots in a democracy, aren't we? And it comes that way in terms of political power and even electrical power. Well... It's a new day in America. Like it or not, President Trump is a truly radical shift and in a great many policies and positions, not the least of which is location of political power, sort of like where it was before the American Revolution. Clearly fewer wealthier white men have suddenly gained vast new decision-making power over our country. Democracy, of course, obtains its just power from the consent of the governed. But we've moved beyond that quaint, old-fashioned notion, haven't we? Who has power over power? Electric power. No matter the new administration, one of the biggest issues remains climate change. Of course, President Trump scoffs at the notion and wants to bring back coal-generated electricity, but the market itself renders that option highly unlikely. There's near unanimity that carbon emissions must be significantly reduced. How we get there in this new administration is a big question. Suddenly, we see a renewed high visibility for allegedly carbon-free nuclear power. And as the demand for electricity continues to be strong, no doubt the majority of Americans believe that to reduce carbon emissions, of course, we need to rely on clean nuclear power. The debate about nuclear power is nothing new. It's been going on since the early 1970s, and in recent years, it's looked like our dependence on splitting atoms to create heat to turn turbines was fading fast. But the nuclear industry is not stupid. They have a great deal of money invested in the game. Now they're trying to hitch on to the support for carbon emissions reduction to make a new push for new nuclear power plants and increased government support for them. Long burdened with the image of disasters at Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima, the nuclear industry is today going full bore to rebrand itself as the clean alternative to carbon emissions. Is it the truth? Well, we'll find out. And what are the effects on democracy? Our guest today writes that every nuclear plant in the U.S. should be shut down yesterday. Carl Grossman, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. A, A pleasure. All right, thank you so much. And uh, Carl Grossman is a full professor of journalism at the State University of New York College of Old West at Old Westbury. For more than 45 years, which isn't that much time, he's pioneered the combination of investigative reporting and environmental journalism in a variety of media. He is host of the nationally aired TV program Enviro Close Up. The narrator and host of an award-winning TV documentaries on environment and energy issues. authors of he's author of six books and writer of numerous magazine, newspaper, and internet articles, and is program host and writer of the, of TV documentaries produced by New York-based Enviro Video, uh, including the war, award-winning Chernobyl: A Million Casualties, Three Mile Island Revisited, Nukes in Space, The Nuclearization and Weaponization of the Heavens. And the push to revive nuclear power He's also a regular contributor to sites including Counterpunch, Op-Ed News, Informable, Nation of Change, and The Huffington Post. Well, again, Carl Grossman, thanks so much for being with us. And in a January 18th article for the business section of The New York Times, economic reporter Eduardo Porter got right to the point. He wrote that, quote, climate change will be hard to stop without nuclear power, end of quote. You've been investigating nu- the nuclear power industry for a long time. What is your take on this new marketing strategy? My sense is it is having some degree of success. What do you think, Carl Grossman?
1: Well, it, it, it's a strategy. Um, oh, uh, some friends of mine a few years ago uh, wrote a book titled Toxic Sludge is Good for You, <laughs> uh, about a PR firm working for a company that produced Toxic sludge, and that was the, the theme of uh, trying to get people to think toxic sludge is good for you. Oh uh, the most current theme with, uh, with nuclear, I mean, the, decade after decade, there's one uh, PR, uh, fallacious PR pitch after another. I mean, uh, years ago, Louis Strauss, this goes back to the 50s, talked about uh, nuclear power being too cheap to meter.
0: Oh, I remember that. Was that.
1: The, it was actually with the opening of the first nuclear plant shipping port in Pennsylvania right. in 1957. And then, of course, we've been told through the years uh, before and even after Three Mile Island, uh, uh, Chernobyl, now the ongoing Fukushima catastrophe that nuclear power is safe. But with the concern, the rightful concern about climate change, yeah. this this new pitch from the the nuclear Pinocchios <laughs> is that um, uh, nuclear power uh, is good in terms of global warming because nuclear reactors don't emit greenhouse gases. What they're leaving out is uh-huh. that the nuclear cycle or the nuclear chain is highly carbon intensive the mining the milling the the fuel enrichment it goes on and on this uh, this is not a carbon free energy source i mean if you want a carbon free clean green renewable energy source you go to uh, solar power and you go to to wind power and so forth not nuclear nuclear is is dirty <laughs> it's dangerous and expensive and as to uh, it being a you know this camp this current campaign being a success, ah, we have to wait and see. They've yeah. been touting a nuclear, the nuclear industry and the nuclear promoters in government have been touting a nuclear renaissance in recent years, in part uh, because of this uh, climate change baloney. But it's not it's not been happening. Uh, in fact, uh, at this point, with the announcement of the closure of the Indian Point nuclear plants, yes, just north of New York City, twenty-six miles from the Bronx line, uh, there'll be. Uh, there's right now ninety-nine nuclear plants operating in the United States. Uh, the numbers are going to go down and down, even from that. And got to remember that President Richard Nixon had uh, right. uh, said back in uh, well. Uh, it like uh, goes way back to 73, but he said by the year 2000, there'd be a thousand nuclear plants in operation in the U.S. No way.
0: That's for sure. It just isn't happening. And, and you know, it, it's surprising sometimes what the people, we the people, buy, what we accept, and, and you never really know. But I think on this one, we got it. It's what are, and, and we talked a little about carbon emissions. You know, people, I think there's pretty widespread understanding that we have to reduce carbon emissions. And carbon emissions from coal and oil are, are terrible, I mean, huge. But what, talk about some of the, and you talked a little bit about the process that's involved. Tell us more about the reality regarding carbon emissions and nuclear power. Now, it's true the, the generation of power itself, as I understand it, there are no carbon emissions, but what about the 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 uh, the process of uh, you know creating the nuclear power, the various different steps and carbon emissions? What's the reality well, on that?
1: Let, let let me add quick though that there's plenty of radioactive emissions. Oh yeah. Whether it's the Seabrook nuclear plant in your neighborhood or any nuclear plant anywhere, they're constantly releasing discharging all kinds of nuclear poisons, uh, particularly tritium, radioactive hydrogen, which then bonds uh, into uh, what was H2O. It becomes H3O, radioactive water. Uh, This is uh, one of the reasons that there are cancer clusters around uh, nuclear plant sites. I mean, I suggest listeners go to the website of the Radiation Public Health Project radiation.org and you'll see all the studies these are independent studies uh done about uh, cancer clusters around uh, nuclear plant sites as to uh, uh carbon emissions in the nuclear chain again right. it's a very very uh, uh oh, carbon full system you had, you have to do the mining and that involves all kind of uh, oh, uh activities that emit carbon. Yeah. You have to do the uh, the milling, which is a very, very carbon-full process. And then and the enrichment is very important because when you take uranium out of the ground, it's only 0.7% uranium-235. That's the, uh, the component of uranium which splits, which fissions most of naturally occurring uranium, 99.3% of it, is uh, it doesn't split. It's U 238. Uh, so to get the U 235 percentage up to, in a nuclear plant, it's 3%. In uh, a nuclear weapon, incidentally, it's, uh, well, the Hiroshima bomb was 90% uranium 235. But in any case, whether you enrich for a nuclear plant or a, a bomb, and I just let, let, let me insert that nuclear. Power is just one side of a, uh, of a coin. The other side is, is, is nuclear weaponry. They've always come together. Uh, so what you're talking about, again, a, a dirty process, uh, a process that doesn't help global warming. To be very practical as to what will help, I mean, I am speaking to you from a, a salt box house, which uh, folks on eastern Long Island are also in New England, what you are, are familiar with. These are the houses that the uh, uh, early settlers built with these big roofs, and I was lucky to get a nice old salt box.
0: Nice. And
1: on the roof of my house is, uh, well, a cluster of of solar panels, photovoltaic panels. We put there a number of years ago. I mean, even today, and it's uh, right here on Long Island where I am, in eastern Long Island. It's raining today. I don't know about the weather up in Portsmouth, but it's raining, and it's terribly cloudy, of course. And I went out before the, the show, and I just looked at my meter, my electric meter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's running backwards. Still, even in a cloudy day, no. those photovoltaic panels are producing more electricity than we need. Uh, and the, the wonderful thing, I mean, the reason that the nuclear renaissance ain't working, the reason that even this new pitch about uh climate change is not working is that the competition from from solar and wind and other energy forms, particularly safe clean solar and wind uh have just rendered nuclear uneconomic that's that, that 's that's why energy said forget it with Indian point as to wind uh between you and me between
0: right Portsmouth. here in long
1: island and um and New Hampshire, uh, you have the first, this is just off Block Island, which is uh, part of Rhode Island. Yeah. In December, just last month, the first offshore wind farm yeah. in the United States began. Just five turbines uh, put out, uh, built by Deepwater Wind, uh, but uh, Deepwater Wind has just been given the okay by the Long Island Power Authority to now build a, a bigger wind farm. of. The one off uh, Block Island is 12 miles east of Montauk Point on Long Island. The new one, which is going to have 15 wind turbines, is going to be southeast of of Long Island. And it's deep water wind. The name is important because these wind turbines go out beyond the horizon. So people who are concerned about the aesthetic impacts of a wind turbine like up at the Cape, yes, uh, on Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, they was concerned a number of years ago yeah. about um, Cape Wind putting in wind turbines, right. and people felt it would screw up the view. I don't know. I think wind turbines are actually beautiful. I do too. <laughs> it's true. I re- you, well, you, if you go to Altamont Pass in California, there's like over a thousand spinning, wow. and it's like a ballet of uh, huh. uh, of, of, of wind energy. It's quite nice. marvelous, and it's in no- nobody's backyard. and and in any case, with deep-water wind, those turbines are not going to be a source of complaint. And deep-water wind, and there's a company called Soltail out of Norway, which has just gotten the go-ahead as well uh, to build a, uh, a big wind farm. This is off, listen to some listeners might know, Jones Beach
0: huh. here
1: in Long Island, but out far, so people are not going to, as yeah. they had a few years ago, complain. And we're talking about wind farms now, deep-water wind, Soltail, of not 5, not 15, by a couple of hundred. So, you know, it's here. Solar, the price of solar has just been plummeting in terms of the photovoltaic panels. If I bought the panels that I bought a number of years ago today, they'd be a fraction of, of the price. Interesting. The efficiencies
0: yeah, yeah.
1: are just been rising and rising. The panels on my roof, 24% efficiency, which is very good. Yeah. But just last year... Uh, a company came out with photovoltaics 36% efficiency. This is more than, well, the solar panels, for example, that power the space, the International Space Station, they're at 25. Wow. So you have a, a technology here, wind and solar, that are, it's not theoretical. I mean, when I wrote my first book on nuclear power, yeah. 1980, I did a chapter in alternatives And some of this stuff, uh, including solar and wind, particularly on an economic level, were somewhat theoretical. Uh, It was still expensive. The early wind turbines were noisy, and uh, there was all kind of problems with them. But now the the alternative to nuclear, the alternative to coal, the alternative to oil, the alternative to particularly fracked gas, which uh, our Trump president uh, is pushing to a fairly well, uh, hmm. it's here uh, the, these technologies have come we're in the middle of a renewable energy bonanza really?
0: hmm.
1: if we if it would just be let to happen uh and some people feel that the economics are going to force it to happen i fear that with trump i mean you see what he's been doing in the last few days yeah. uh trying to uh suppress any discussion of uh of climate change right. uh uh, so, uh, yeah, putting, the uh federal agencies yeah. gags on the folks right. at e p a and I mean all these terrible things that he's begun to do and will continue to do and so forth some people uh again feel that economic realities will make the trump uh stuff uh just uh well if, like 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 the nixon prediction mm. uh go go nowhere on the other hand um when you have despotic leaders, uh, when you have um, yeah,
0: people, reality people doesn't like, matter.
1: Uh, people like Trump, or I spent a lot of time actually in uh, Russia uh, in the nineties and the two thousands. I was asked to go over there to help uh, in the development of a new energy uh, oh, wow. and environmental program in Russia. Uh, when I went there ultimately seven times, and I gave presentations at all kind of places, including. The, uh, the russian academy of sciences on the relationship between cancer and mm. and nuclear power uh... but now with putin uh... Yeah. the uh... the these initiatives and they were huge in russia back then uh, to develop a safe clean green renewable energy for for russia uh, Uh, just not happening. Uh, Putin is all into nuclear power. Uh, Hmm. The Russians have developed now floating nuclear plants and so Hmm. forth. And the concern I have here is that nuclear power doesn't get anywhere when you have a democracy. It only has been able to be pushed successfully uh, when you have uh, an authoritarian uh, political situation where the people's voice doesn't count. And my concern about the Trump administration is uh, where it's going to go in that regard.
0: Boy, I guess it's, yeah, and and the whole issue of democracy and who makes decisions and what about the power of the people? (laughs) When you were talking about there, Putin and Trump, they're like, uh, brothers or something like that, or even worse. <laughs> I don't know. what. It's just amazing. If we just tuned in, welcome to uh, Keeping Democracy Alive. Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is Carl Grossman, who's been a professor of journalism at the State University of New York uh, for over thirty for 32 years. He's a specialist investiga- in investigative reporting. What a concept, investigative reporting. You don't see that much anymore. He's the author of Cover Up, where you're not supposed well. to know about nuclear power. I got I to gotta ask, in terms of, I mean, most states are looking for economic development. I mean, we have uh, low unemployment rates, but we want to bring in more jobs. Everybody's talking about more jobs. But costs of electricity are often cited as a reason for companies to locate one place versus another. Is the cost of natural gas, which I, you know, is used quite a bit. It's a lot cleaner than coal or oil, but it's still got that whole fracking thing, and it does emit some carbon. But 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 what about costs of electricity and 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 nuclear power? What's the industry doing about about that? And how does the costs of, you know, the electricity at the end of the line that you you when you flick on the switch in your house or your business? What about costs of nuclear generated electricity compared to these others that you know it used to be called oh you know pie in the sky uh solar and wind things like that What, where are the what's the reality of the costs of nuclear generated electricity compared to the others well, now
1: it, it's not nuclear, it never has been job intensive I mean there is the construction period, and so people in the construction industry electricians and um, uh, steam fitters and stuff get jobs there for a while but for a while over. And to operate a nuclear plant, you just need, need a few hundred hmm. workers. When you're talking about oh, getting photovoltaic on the roofs of every house and business in the United States, as I think it should be, panels up on those roofs uh, and above those parking lots, and you know wherever you could, uh, you you can uh, site uh, solar uh, solar panels. You're talking about lots of people working. Uh, when you're talking about uh, the, the the building of uh, of wind turbines and the place, a lot of uh, a lot of jobs there. I mean, uh, there's been numerous studies done in terms of yeah. job generation and solar and wind and compared to nuclear and solar and wind. Um, uh, you know, they they win. Uh, so uh, the, the economic argument is also blown. I mean, really. In terms of nuclear, I mean, other than the only argument I can, I've ever seen for nuclear, is that in the healthcare sector, uh, if you're looking to, uh, I mean, this sounds very ghoulish, uh, but if you're looking uh, to expand uh, uh, people in healthcare dealing with cancer and yeah. other horrible <laughs> oh. diseases, uh, it'll, it'll it'll assist in that that, that way. Jeez. The bottom line with nuclear, I think, was uh, I mentioned in 1957. The first nuclear plant in the United States opened shipping port in Pennsylvania, and the government was deeply involved the u s government uh in fact at that point, the utilities did not want to build nuclear plants because mm. they knew they were so dangerous, and the insurance companies didn't want to insure nuclear planting in nineteen fifty seven and um uh it was built uh, under the management of uh the Atomic Energy Commission, which existed then and the division of naval reactors uh, and Hyman Rickover who was out of the it was regarded as the father of the nuclear Navy I mean folks in sure. Portsmouth are well aware of that because of your your nuclear submarine facilities yes um, and uh, Rickover um, uh, joined in the uh, the Gaety when uh, mm. shipping port opened in 57 and uh, then by 1982 Rickover saw the light. And, uh, I mean, you, you, could, you could see this uh, presentation in a book, that, my first book on nuclear cover-up, What You're Not Supposed to Know right. About Nuclear Power, or just Google Rickover Farewell Address to a Congressional Committee. And what he says in this, uh, in this farewell address uh, is that a few billion years ago there was so much naturally occurring Radioactivity right. on this planet that life couldn't exist. Right. Only after the these poisons, these these radioactive poisons uh, went through their half lives, went through their hazardous lifetime, mm-hmm. could life begin. And then he goes on by by having these nuclear power plants, by having these reactors. What we're doing is recreating the very poisons that precluded life from existing. And there, now this is Rickover, not mm-hmm. Greenpeace. And there, <laughs> I think, says Rickover in this address. And again, Google it. You'll see his words. There, I think, the human race is going to wreck itself. And then he goes on. We've got to outlaw nuclear reactors. We've got to outlaw oh. nuclear power plants. Rickover. This is in 1980, 82, Admiral mm-hmm. Hyman Rickover. And that's the bottom line. I mean, what we're doing with nuclear power plants is producing these horrible poisons. I mean, called, it's called nuclear waste, right. uh, but uh, that, that doesn't describe really, uh, I mean, the kind of horrible... I mean, these, these poisons, oh, uh, some of them are going to be around for centuries, uh, some for centuries. millennia, some for, uh, for millions of years, and all during that time they have to be isolated yes. from life or they'll destroy life that 's what that 's what the fission process does that 's what this i mean nuclear power has to be the stupidest way ever conceived to boil water to uh, yes. turn a turbine to generate electricity because what you 're producing in that process are these these horrid poisons that precluded life from existing on this earth and those poisons can, they can come out in huge amounts during a uh, a nuclear accident, oh. uh, like what occurred at Chernobyl, or it 's happening actually still going on because there 's been no stopping of the release of nuclear poisons at Fukushima yes uh, it could happen in a catastrophe, it happens routinely in terms of these these emissions, these permissible emissions is what the Atomic Energy Commission was replaced by the mm. Nuclear Regulatory Commission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they talk about permissible emissions of tritium and some of these other nuclear poisons. Yeah. And it can happen in any of those centuries, any of those millennia, that there could be a leak. There can be some sort of release. From what I mean, we're talking about Yucca Mountain. And I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. Trump is going to be pushing this. No doubt. Uh, Obama stopped it. Yucca Mountain as a, um, a Permanent repository waste. for right. nuclear waste. Right. I mean, th- that Yucca Mountain site in Nevada is loaded with earthquake faults. I mean, <laughs> that's no place to, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any place, really. I mean, no. years ago, there was this notion that we'll put the, these terrible nuclear poisons, nuclear waste, on rockets and send the rockets to the sun. <laughs> but then, then they, they realized, well, what, what would occur if the rocket blew up? And in fact, one in a hundred chemical rockets blow up on Lawrence. So that idea was scuttled. I mean, we have produced in, in these past decades, since nuclear power began, enormous uh, amounts of these, uh, this nuclear poison, which uh, it, it's going to provide, talking about employment, employment for people to try to uh, keep it isolated uh, into, into eternity but the point here is that we shouldn't produce anymore. We shouldn't produce one pound of uh, this 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 nuclear arsenic anymore. Uh, we should stop <laughs> nuclear plants, all of them, in my view. Yes, should have been should be closed yesterday, yeah. and um, go on to have energy we can live with, and energy we can live with is topped by. Are they- Solar and wind, and, and and there's wave power, and there's uh, this is- tidal power, and there's, there's other, and, and this has began all, begun all over the planet. I mean, listeners might want to go to the website of the Solutions Project. Hmm. Uh, this is a uh, an effort. It's, it's, it's out in California. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, in fact, is is very big on it. Just go to the Solutions Project uh, uh, on the web on the internet. And you can see uh, what the Solutions Project advocates is 100% renewable. And uh, it's working for that. It's working hard, not just in the United States, but countries around the world. And there's been many places now uh, in this country and around the world committed to 100% renewable. The city of San Francisco, Mm. for example, or here, uh, where I live on Long Island, the town of East Hampton, a big town, uh, it's said that we're going to have 100% renewable by 2020. That's just like three years away, yeah. based on solar, and the town is promoting solar all over the place in the town of East Hampton. And these offshore wind turbines going up, uh, uh, well, Montauk is in the town of East Hampton, and... As I say, there'll be a bigger wind farm off East Hampton. So it can happen. A 100% renewable is the, uh, is, should be the target. Nuclear is not part of the category of renewable energy. Uh, I wonder, wind and so forth, these are. And that, that's what we have to strive for, work for, and in the face of resistance, particularly by the, uh, the Trump people, uh, fight for.
0: And I wonder, there's, there's so many questions here about uh, about nuclear, and I, I, I think uh, you have some opinions about it. I'm getting that sense here. And, you know, the the reality is that this is here now. These alternatives are here now. And the price of electricity from nuclear, the cost to create, I mean, here, where we're coming from, they were going to build two uh, nuclear plants at, at Seabrook. They were supposed to be uh, less than a billion dollars for two, and one was like $8 billion, if not more, and they don't know what to do with the nuclear waste, of course. So it's not, it's not cheaper for sure. And I wonder about, are there, you know, as part of this effort to rebrand nuclear power as being carbon-free, the, the, you know, they're, they're trying to emphasize how it's green and sustainable— And I know they tried a few years ago, and to some success, of reaching environmental organizations so that they could say, you know, hey, look, here's this environmental group that's saying we've got to have nuclear power. I mean, we still have this tremendous demand for energy. And again, companies that employ a lot of people that make beer and things like that, that use a lot of electricity, they don't want to have to pay a lot for electricity. So I guess that's two questions. Are there any environmental organizations are allegedly environmental organizations that are buying into nuclear, and, well, I guess uh, we talked a bit about the price of uh, electricity from nuclear. Well, you know,
1: there are greenwashing groups. uh,
0: Greenwashing, yeah. Groups
1: in quotes, you know, these kind of front organizations. And it goes way back. I mean, uh, the, the model for the nuclear industry really is the tobacco industry to oh, claim that hmm. there's no connection between smoking and cancer and Dr. So-and-so prefers
0: right. <laughs> this brand
1: that. of cigarette. And I mean, the, this is the way these people pitch their terrible products. The economics are just it's just not there. It doesn't work out. A, a nuclear plant today costs uh, about 13 to $15 billion to construct. Wow. It just doesn't work out economically. But, again, the... the this is not really an economic issue or a technological issue. I mean, I've not spoken at all about energy efficiency. Sure. And uh, we are cutting our use of energy. I mean, people say we need a lot of electricity. Yeah, but you don't have to use power the way we've been using power. Just consider the, the LED bulbs that are all over the place now Yes. and how they, uh-huh. uh, they, they use just a fraction. Uh, the plan is for high-efficiency electric cars... Uh, and you're not a solar electric combination where you get the electricity for your car from a solar power station and so forth. But it, it, it's all the political issue. Let me insert here: If anybody wants copy of Cover Up for free, courtesy of the publisher, the newest edition of Cover Up: What You're Not yeah. Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power is free. Just go to my website www. call with a K Grossman one word. dot com. Hit on the little button that says books, and you can download the uh, the whole book for free. And and the way I wrote the book was to include facsimiles of all kind of government and corporate documents. So uh, I wanted it to be used as a handbook, so people could counter the snow jobs hmm. of the of uh, the nuclear industry. In any case, I was up I was up at Seabrook. Uh, or where Seabrook was to go. This is right. 1977. Oh, yes. Remember it well. Oh, and yeah. Helen Caldicott, yep. who is, uh, you know a pediatrician uh, out of originally actually out of the Children's Hospital in Boston, who became aware of the dangers of nuclear power and nuclear technology and nuclear war. Very active in the right. uh, formation of Physicians for Social Responsibility. And here's the quote in my book Cover Up from Helen. Quote: This is on the beach at Seabrook. We're in the hands of lunatics and at the crossroads of time. It's time we rise up and say, this is our world. We want to live. And if we were in the hands of lunatics in 1977, yeah. <laughs> we are we are in the hands of... It's what's, almost what's beyond, beyond lunacy l- now, really uh, right now. What's going on? The, the complete denial of reality, the denial of facts, whether it's the numbers of people at Doesn't the inauguration mean, or with climate change. He's he's pushing nuclear power, Trump is. In fact, there was a, a big piece on Bloomberg, it's headline: Trump's team asking for ways to keep nuclear power alive. Huh. If the main pitch of the nuclear promoters is we need nuclear power to deal with climate change, and he wants to keep nuclear alive, but in fact, Trump believes that or claims that that climate change is a a hoax uh, (laughs) uh, put together by the Chinese. Chinese. I mean, like everything doesn't kind of get together. But in any case, the matter of energy efficiency is important. And the amount of power used by industry and residential use can be brought way, way, way down uh, in so many ways. And the combination of, I mean, you could say conservation, but some people feel conservation. I'm going to have to uh, well, be cold because I, right. uh, I can't have my oil burner kicking. But, I mean, downstairs in my little salt box, one of the things we did a few years ago, too, as an old colonial house, was to uh, put all kind of heavy insulation all over sure, the place. Sure. It's amazing how, through good technology... Through good science, they do something when they do an energy uh, audit. Right, they use a machine which figures out where the leaks are from your house, yes, and they seal them all up and so forth. And then we put in a an oil burner, which is. Top efficiency. Yeah. And so we burn a fraction of the oil that we used to burn when we moved into the house. So,
0: yeah, people uh, like to do that. They do. And it's interesting. You know, Trump has talked about creating public works jobs, which I'd love to see. Lord knows we need them. I mean, our electric infrastructure is one of many areas. You could create a lot of jobs sending people out to retrofit homes and especially businesses and thus save a lot more energy than could be created by any. Nuclear power plants. I want to ask about comparing Obama to Trump. Back in 2007, 2008, being a New Hampshire resident, we get to shop around for presidential candidates. I didn't go with Obama originally because he was pro-nuclear. I went with uh, Richardson, who, was a, who would have been a great president, but was a lousy candidate. What's the comparison between Obama and Trump when it comes to nuclear? He said he was pro-nuclear, but I don't think he did anything about it. What, what's the comparison between well, the
1: two? The, the, the issue with Obama, I mean, it's, it's the last chapter. In respect to nuclear, it was a sorry chapter. Barack Obama, when he ran, and I've written a lot about this, criticizing him, when he first ran for president, his addressing the keen New Hampshire sentinel uh, the editorial board Obama tells the editorial board, this is when he's running first time for president, that he's not for nuclear. The problem is that these nuclear plants can blow up and kill people. And this is Obama. Oh my! Uh, and we have alternatives. We have safe alternatives. But then once he got into the White House, switched, he, he flipped. As to why he flipped, uh, in part, uh, was because um, uh, his chief of staff, the current mayor of Chicago, yes, right, right, right. Uh, as an investment banker, he put together a company called Exelon, ah. uh, which is now the ah. biggest owner of nuclear power plants in the country. And uh, Obama's uh, PR advisor, mm-hmm. uh, who also worked in the White House as a counselor, he did PR for uh, for Exelon, which is based in Chicago. Mm. And then then Obama got these this bum information by the Energy secretaries, he put it in. Uh, There was one fella named uh, Mm, Chu. Well, Chu came out of the National Nuclear Laboratory System, and those folks at Oak Ridge and Los Alamos, these are laboratories that were started during the Manhattan Project to build nuclear weapons. And that really is where nuclear power begins. After the war, the folks at Oak Ridge and what became Argonne and Los Alamos look for ways to perpetuate their jobs and... Hmm. GE and Westinghouse were big nuclear contractors during the war for the Manhattan Project. All kind of ways were uh, studied to uh, utilize, you can build more nuclear weapons, but um, what else you do, they ask, with nuclear technology to keep this vested interest going? And out of that comes the notion of nuclear-powered airplanes and food Mm -hmm, irradiation. Nuclear-powered
0: rockets. Uh, Yeah, I remember uh, when I was in uh, elementary school in the 50s and early 60s, there was a free book given to us, Our Friend the Atom. It was, oh yeah! It was passed. It was, past, it was it, widely distributed because you know people were scared of nuclear bombs. But our friend, the atom, the friendly atom, oh for sure, serving us well. The accidents at nuclear plants. There haven't been major meltdowns. There haven't been you know terrible disasters as of yet. You know, there's that bumper sticker. Well, stick no, down. no,
1: I, 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 I don't think so. so just let me address that yeah, question. Yeah, sure, and just, just add on the Obama thing. Oh yeah, So sure. in the end, Obama began. You know. Trying to push nuclear uh, yes. with nuclear subsidies, loan guarantees, and stuff, as to as, as to disasters. Know that they've happened. In fact, I got into this issue. Uh, I, I was anchoring a TV show here in Long Island, and they asked me to do a piece on nuclear. This is in the early seventies. I didn't know much about the subject. I, most of my career, I focus on doing investigative reporting, but the line is it's highly technical, and you can understand it. It's 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 using fission to Sure. Boil water to turn a turbine. I mean, Simple. To, to to fix the transmission of a car that I wouldn't ever imagine. But in any case, I went to one of these national nuclear labs. This is a one on Long Island, Brookhaven National Laboratory, which was specifically set up to develop civilian uses of nuclear technology in 1947. And I interviewed um, some of the scientists, and uh, right into the camera they said— um, now maybe you know every couple of centuries, you might have a minor accident, but there's so much redundancy built into uh, these mm-hmm. nuclear plants that uh, you know people just just shouldn't be concerned at all. they that's mm-hmm. safe. And right. Then I matched it. It was kind of ping-pong journalism <laughs> with anti-nuclear people saying, "No, oh, they're terribly dangerous," and uh, that was the program. Then uh, years later. I got the news that the Three Mile Island nuclear plant uh, was undergoing a a meltdown. It came 30 minutes away from a full meltdown. Mm. Mm. And and that day, I thought of those scientists at that federal laboratory, we pay their salaries, trying to bamboozle me and bamboozle my viewers. And that's when I sat down and wrote my first book on nuclear power, this cover-up book. And as I say, what I do in that book is, all over the book, is to reprint as facsimiles. I mean I took a pair of scissors and I cut out pieces from various government reports. And for example, in nineteen fifty seven the first report on the consequences of a nuclear plant accident was done that same that year is so important when the first nuclear plant opens a shipping port. First one was done at Brookhaven Lab called Wash seven forty, the wash for Washington. And that was followed up in the sixties because it turns out where it turned out that bigger nuclear plants were being proposed than what was thought oh, yeah. were to be built in sure. Wash 740. So they came up with Wash 740 Update. And in Wash 740 Update, over and over again, and this is in my book, is the line, and I'm reading it right from the book the possible size of the area of such a disaster, a nuclear plant accident might be equal to that of the state of Pennsylvania. Right. This is, this is written in the 60s. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, you almost had at Three Mile Island.
0: In Pennsylvania. A
1: disaster which involved the whole state of Pennsylvania. Ultimately, in 86, you had an accident. The Chernobyl nuclear plant accident took in wherever that, that, those poisons, the fission products, the, the poisons fell. And a lot of that was Belarus and Russia. And of course, this Unit 4 was in Ukraine, all over Ukraine. Uh, and that TV program, which is actually on my website, you can just click, it's on the homepage. Chernobyl, A Million Casualties, is based on a very, very important book written by a group of European scientists led by Alexey Yablokov. He, he's considered their racial Carson. He was the environmental advisor to Yeltsin and to Gorbachev. And he put together this analysis of where the Chernobyl fallout went based on data like 6,000 pieces of data on fallout deposits and also statistics on cancer and other diseases that could be linked to, uh, you know, if you had a big spike in cancer where a mm-hmm. lot of fallout mm-hmm. came. I mean, radioactivity doesn't leave a calling card, but there sure would be some indication. And they conclude that as a result of the Chernobyl nuclear plant accident up till, just up till a few years ago, 985,000 people died as a result of radioactive contamination caused by Chernobyl. That's Uh a million people. And since that time, more have died as a result of Chernobyl. In terms of Fukushima, that's not stopped. Uh, The radioactive poisons are getting into the air, getting into the water, including the Pacific Ocean, where it's ingested into into marine life, and they have the problem of biomagnification as some of this Chernobyl poison gets into the water and gets in some of the vegetation and a little fish eats that vegetation, and a, a bigger fish eats that little fish, and a bigger yeah. fish eats the medium-sized fish. Uh, there's an intensification of the radioactivity, yeah. and I, I hate to say it because I've done this many times, but I wouldn't do it today. I'd be very concerned about eating sushi in a restaurant on the West Coast yeah. or any, any agricultural product of yeah. that region uh, I- around Fukushima very dangerous but meanwhile let me note the government of Japan which is now under the command of a, of a real big pro nuclear uh, is trying to would, like trump deny the impacts the consequences of uh, Fukushima even though the the prime minister of the country he did a 180 degree turn after mm. Fukushima yeah. he is against yeah. nuclear now he's for solar and wind and just lo- just let me g- note here and this is something that Really, hardly ever reported, if reported at all. One of the reasons that the Japanese government now is all for nuclear, and in the wake of Fukushima, trying to sell nuclear to India, other places, other countries, is that in 2009, Westinghouse and GE became the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power. Well over 80 percent of nuclear power plants historically are of Westinghouse and/or GE design or manufacture. The Fukushima plants were GE plants. 2009, Toshiba acquired Westinghouse's nuclear operations. Same year, a few months later, Hitachi went into partnership with GE in its nuclear operations. So now basically you have the, the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power as Japanese brands. Mm-hmm. And this is a reason, besides, in Japan they have the same situation we have here these uh, nuclear enthusiasts, this atomic priesthood (laughs) within government pushing nuclear, like what we have in the United States, between the corporate push by the nuclear industry uh, to somehow keep this lethal undertaking going, and the promoters in government of nuclear uh, at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which, as I mentioned, replaced the Atomic Energy Commission, because uh, Congress in 74 concluded that the AEC was in conflict of interest as a both promoter Mm. and regulator of nuclear power. So we set up the NRC as a regulator and then later at the Department of Energy to promote. But the NRC continues to promote. In fact, the AEC and the NRC have never denied a construction or operating license for any nuclear power plant anywhere, anytime. And so you have those, those, those scientists who years back uh, at Brookhaven Lab, who tried to bamboozle me that nuclear was safe, you have that all institutionalized uh, in the NRC and the Department of Energy.
0: Yeah. I got to ask, according to a recent NOVA program on PBS, which has interesting sources of funding, none of the accidents like Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and, and, and Fukushima would have happened had they been built according to current designs. Your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, that's that's like this new improved nuclear plants. Right. There's a company in Oregon which is trying to peddle smaller nuclear plants, uh, modular nuclear reactors. You know, per plant it's cheaper, but they're going to sell them in twelve packs. And the claim is that these plants, uh, these new improved plants, are safe. The Union of Concerned Scientists have done an analysis of those nukes and other you know new designs for nuclear. And in terms of the, the module plant, Union of Concerned Scientists say, no way. In fact, in many ways, it's more dangerous a situation than having one big plant, having 12 small plants, because you've got more nuclear plants to have accidents in. I mean, the, the bottom line here is you're dealing with fission, you're dealing with the production. You're, you're taking uranium out of the ground, you're enriching that U 235 component. You're creating a chain reaction, and the chain reaction causes what they call lighter elements—elements uh, elements with a light, with a smaller atomic number—to to be created. The problem is that these are lethal twins of safe and stable elements mm. that we know of. For example, in the fission process, iodine one hundred and thirty-one, highly poisonous. It's a real problem in terms of thyroid cancer is, is created you know you know iodine you put it on your cut i put it on a cut uh, but this is a different kind mm-hmm. of iodine and the body doesn't know the difference between radioactive iodine and and good iodine and this goes for one of the fission products after another of the fission products uh, they're again lethal twins of safe elements in nature and- What's been stockpiled around many nuclear power plants, in fact, folks around Seabrook might have, uh, in in some countries, the governments give them out, which have nuclear plants. Some citizens around Seabrook might have gotten potassium iodide pills, which if there's an accident at Seabrook that you would take, take and that would block the intake of the radioactive iodine. The problem is that just one pill for one fission product, and there's hundreds of others. Once you're dealing with poison, I mean, arsenic is arsenic.
0: Well, I want to ask, the name of the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And I think, you know, nuclear power has always been highly centralized, highly capital intensive, and just the very antithesis of of democracy. We're talking about power, you know, in, in comparison to smaller, less costly, decentralized, sustainable energy mm. generated facilities like wind, tidal, solar. Nuclear power is large, capital-intensive, and centralized. I wonder if this distribution or lack thereof of power, if it reflects the overall distribution of political power as well. It seems to me, you know, it's sort of a mirror image of of politics. You know, who gets a decision-making uh, process? Is power decentralized and left to the people? or is it in the hands of a few big, you know, deciders as it were. You know, and to me, you know, it really represents somewhat uh the lack of democracy that's still going on in America. What are your thoughts about that Carl Grossman? Uh, and in fact, that
1: from the beginning it was a, a it was this enormous challenge to democracy. Again, in 1957, first nuclear plant opens, that War 740 report, the first report on the catastrophic impacts of a nuclear plant accident, and based on a smaller plant, they were talking $7 billion in property damage. Nevertheless, the same year in 1957, the Price-Anderson Act was passed, which continues to this day, which originally provided that there'd be a, 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 li- a limit of liability when it comes to nuclear power. If there'd be a disaster, the total amount that people could collect. Would be five hundred and sixty million dollars, and the government would pay the first five hundred million, and after that, we're all screwed. Yeah. Uh, and that continues to this day. It's not five hundred and sixty million anymore, uh, but it's um, it's about thirteen billion. But if you look, there's a report done called Crack Two, C R A C Two. I write about it in Cover Up uh, in the new edition of Cover Up. Uh, and you can get it on. You can get it online. Uh, just just Google CRAC, C R A C two, and "crack" stands for Calculation Reactor Accident Consequences. which was done for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission at Sandia National Laboratories, run by the Department of Energy. So it's, it's done by people who love nuclear. But here, I'm looking right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is the the. Uh, The numbers in the report, if there would be a core meltdown with breach of containment at Seabrook, the plant in New Hampshire, in Seabrook, New Hampshire, according, I'm just looking at these numbers, they'd be, this is what they estimate, 7,000 peak early fatalities, 7,000 people dead. Uh, It says, again, go look at it online. In terms of early injuries, 27,000, peak early injuries. In terms of cancer deaths, 6,000. And here, in terms of, uh, back to Price-Anderson and the, the limit of liability, $163 billion, that's with a B, in 1980 dollars. The report hmm. came out in 82. Wow. So multiply that by three. And if Seabrook went, if there'd be a China syndrome accident, breach of containment, that radioactivity would get out uh, like it's been getting out at Fukushima or it got out at Chernobyl. Uh, you're talking about uh, up in New Hampshire, uh, $400 or $500 billion, four or $500 billion in property damage. And everything was done in that way to kind of screw everybody. Yeah. The way around it, so people listening to the show don't say, well, so how are we going to fight it? You can fight City Hall. I mean, the myth you can't fight City Hall is, I think, a myth invented by City Hall. <laughs> One of the ways, a big way, that Indian Point was stopped from operating, that Entergy gave up, uh, forget it, we'll close the plants in a few years, is because the state of New York used the state, it's called a Speedies Permit, a uh, pollution discharge permit, uh Originally, the, the, the nuclear establishment within government and involving industry preempted localities and states from doing too much about nuclear power. But there was some stuff that was left out, for example, the issue of discharge. And here, the Indian Point plants, there's two of them, 30 miles from Times Square, discharge 2.5 billion, billion gallons of water a day into the Hudson River. Uh, a little bit radio, a little bit more radioactive than it. Of uh, course, a, a big nuke takes a million gallons a minute of coolant, so it goes in and goes out. So the state of New York says we're not going to give you a a speedies renewal, and that really uh, Entergy was stuck with having to build cooling towers. He decided yeah. that was too expensive and gave up on Indian Point here on Long Island where I live. Well, we have to. The, pl- we're the actually- plan was to build seven to eleven nuclear power plants, 7 to 11, and completed was the first, the Shoreham, In all the papers, it was Shoreham Nuclear Power Station 1. How we beat nuclear power on Long Island was using the state's power of eminent domain. In Uh, other words, if the state wants to widen the road and the owner of some property doesn't want to sell, they can do eminent domain. So what happened in 1985 was the Long Island Power Act was passed, saying based on the state's power of eminent domain, if the utility, it was something called the Long Island Lighting Company, which is now out of business, doesn't give up on its scheme to build 7 to 11 nuclear plants on Long Island, to make Long Island in the jargon of the nuclear promoters of the time a nuclear park, we, the state of New York, will seize the assets and or the stock of the Long Island Lighting Company and eliminate it as a corporate entity. And guess what happened with the Long Island Lighting Company? It gave up, and it was led at that time. This is the 1980s. uh, Brookhaven Lab, this national nuclear lab on Long Island, intimately involved with the Long Island Lighting Company. In fact, in that time, in the 80s, the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of the utility was William Catacasinos, who had been earlier the assistant director at Brookhaven Lab. Loved nuclear power, thought it was the best thing to come along since sliced bread. Nevertheless, he realized that the state had the power to shut down, in effect, not just shore him in this way, but shut down his whole company. And he gave up. So the lesson is: uh, you can get around the federal preemption, but you got to
0: we got to keep at it. We have to be clever and figure out ways to do it. We've run out of time. Actually, a couple Uh, minutes uh, over time, but there's a lot to talk about www.carlgrossman.com a lot of information there thank you so much for being with us and uh, we do have the power we actually do have the power thank you so much
1: thank you Bert
0: ¡Sí!